One of my earliest remembered religious experiences, now I have a lot of them that are wordless that I can't quite remember as a small child, but I still remember that one of the earliest religious experiences I had as a part of worship, grew up in a very traditional church, you know, organ, the piano was played, but only for anthems on rare occasions, um, and we sang hymns. And perhaps one of my favorite hymns of all times, uh, because I still remember the feeling that came over me. I can still remember exactly where I was sitting in my home sanctuary. And my home sanctuary is big. It seats about 800 people. Um, I still remember sitting on the left-hand side as you face the front, and uh, in the section where my parents currently sit uh, in worship on Sundays. And we were singing, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am, waited, yield, yield, while I am waiting, yielded and still. That whole idea of being shaped, and this is, this is early enough in my life that I don't know that I had ever, when you're little and you go to Sunday school every Sunday, and I did, uh, you learn all the big stories what, that are stories. You know, you, you, you learn the stories about Noah and the ark, only we overlook all of the scary, horrible details. And uh, you learn the creation story, kind of, and you learn the story of Joseph and his brothers and uh, the stories of Jesus and feeding the five, all those kinds of stories. But the, the text we're going to read today is part of what Have Thine Own Way is based on, and it's not a story, it's a, a prophetic utterance by the prophet Jeremiah, who for the next several weeks we're going to study together, we're going to talk about. Um, it's perhaps one of his most famous passages, although he has several, um, and that is not even in the New Testament. There we go, Jeremiah. We're looking at Jeremiah chapter 18, and uh, beginning with verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there the potter was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as the potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy. And if a nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster I intended to bring on it. And at another moment, I may declare concerning a nation and a kingdom that I will build and plant it. But if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about that good that I intended to do. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, look, I am a potter shaping evil against you and devising a plot against you. 
Turn now, all of you, from your evil way and amend your ways and your doings. Uh, this is a word from the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, when you read a text like that, you have a wonderful opportunity to really struggle with what you think faith means. What does this text say to you that is good news? And what is a struggle? What is difficult to hear? So I'm going to begin with the good news, because I think that's always a good place to begin. And we'll find a way to end with the good news as well uh, in the midst of it all. The first good news is the whole thing about the clay, and then the thing about the potter. But let's start with the clay. First of all, at no point ever in the story does the potter say, I don't even like this clay, and throw the clay away. <laughs> the clay that's being shaped is always kept. The substance, that which is being kept, that which is being shaped, is kept no matter what. There's no throwing away the clay. The clay just gets shaped. So I think of myself and you and the world and the way of looking at it as sort of the clay. God doesn't just throw it away. God keeps working. And I keep, the second thing is God's hand as the potter is always in the clay. No matter what's happening, God is in this wonderful story shaping the clay. All right, those were the easy parts. Now to the more struggly parts. Do we believe, as Jeremiah did, that God shapes evil against us and that God shapes good against us? You know, good and evil. That is certainly Jeremiah's experience, and that is Jeremiah's word to his people who have already experienced being conquered by the Babylonians by the time this book is being written. They've already been kicked aside and broken. And in so doing, their experience, this fits right with it from Jeremiah's perspective. This is what happened, and the reason that it happened is because of your faithful or faithlessness. But God can turn that around. Now, this is where I enter into my faith struggle. Because I don't believe God controls the minutiae of my life. I don't believe I get up on a certain side of the bed because that was God's intent this morning. I believe that I rolled over in the night and I got up there. Let me, let me tell you where I find my struggle and I find answers to my struggle. Because it's in my own personal experience. You know, most of you know, and if you don't, uh, I'll recant ever so briefly, uh, uh, not recant, but I'll retell for all of you that about four months ago, Linda began to become sick for reasons we didn't know exactly what they were. We thought she had rheumatoid arthritis. And on Easter Sunday evening, I put her in the hospital for what turned out to be 32 days when I didn't know which way was up. Now, you see, if I believed God controlled the minutia of my life, I would believe that God put Linda in the hospital for some judgmental purpose, that God was that, that Linda had perpetrated some evil, or worse yet, because I'm good at blaming myself, that I had perpetrated some evil, and instead of visiting it on me, God had visited it on Linda. And I don't buy that. 
I don't buy that at all. I believe God was in the formation of this universe 13, 17 billion years ago, and that God set it in motion not to stand back and watch it like the watchmaker God, but to participate in its unfolding, to be a part of all that was happening, to see it as it happened, and as it happened, to grieve with those who were grieving and to dance with those who were dancing and for the mediocre in between to be with them as well. I don't believe that Linda's illness in the hospital and her come home to recovery was about any form of judgment, nor do I think it was God's plan. So what do I do with this, Jeremiah, that has God forming plans against those who are evil? Do I believe that sometimes God makes plans and sometimes God doesn't? Where does God work in all of this? And how does God work in all of this? Now, for me, I do believe God's hand was in this the whole time that Linda was in the hospital and I was making daily visits with a couple of exceptions when other members of the family went. I believe God's hand was in it the whole time. I believe God was holding me up because God knows I would have collapsed in those 32 days if it hadn't been God. And God wasn't just holding me up in some kind of spiritual fashion separate from other human beings. I was held up by you in prayer once you knew what was going on. Uh, it took a little while for me to reveal to everyone what was going on because I didn't know what was going on. And even by the time I revealed it, I still didn't know what was going on. For 11 days, we didn't know what was going on. And even after that, I'm not sure the doctors knew what was going on even after that. So uh, we even had a doctor say to me, we don't like to say this, James, but we don't know what's going on. <laughs> we don't like to say that. You know, of all the people, we like to have an answer. And it's not clear to us, and they tested for everything. So in the midst of that, how could God's hand be in that? Except that God held me up and never let me go. God did it in the voices of my children for me. God did it in, uh, in, in relationship to a few of my closest uh, colleagues who knew about it and walked with me. Uh, some of my very close friends who were like James, I, I don't know what to tell you, but I'm here to listen. And there were lots of tears, weeping and gnashing of teeth on my part, and a little shaking of my fist at the divine being who shall remain unnamed. And in the midst of it all, God's hand was holding me up. And I learned some important lessons about myself and about love in the midst of all of that. Now, God didn't make that happen so God could teach me the lesson. But God could use even what I consider to be one of the most horrible times in my life of uncertainty and unknowing. God could use that to teach me. I'll give you two lessons that I learned, and there's a long list. Two lessons I learned by God's hand. One is don't run away from the pain. 
it's not going anywhere. When you feel it, share it. When you feel it, let yourself feel it. I'm a runner awayer from pain. If you know anything about the Enneagram, and if you don't, it's okay. I'm a seven. Sevens find any way possible to run away from pain. They will turn on a movie. They will plan a new experience. They will look for something down the street. Whatever is going on right here is not where I want to be because I want to avoid pain. Anything I can do to escape, that's what I want to do. And God taught me not to run away from my pain because I sat with Linda and watched her in pain and uncertainty. God taught me not to run away in the pain. Did God want me to have to learn the lesson the way I learned it? I don't think so. But could God use that as a teachable moment? Absolutely. I also learned in a second lesson, and this is the most important one, and this is why I'm always telling you that you're infinitely precious and unconditionally loved. And that is, I learned that I had no idea how deep my love for Linda was. I had no idea how deep it was because it just got deeper. That even in the uncertainty of those first 11 days, when Linda didn't know who she was or who I was, on rare occasions she could answer who she was and they always made her, they always made it tell what her birthday was. I don't know where that came from. If she was cheating and looking at her hospital wristband, but every time they came to give her drugs or do anything else, can you tell me your name? <laughs> well, sometimes she couldn't. Can you tell me your birth date? October the 8th, 1965. She could tell them that. She was still in there somewhere. But in the midst of all of that, I, I was still madly in love with this woman. And I saw in her the beauty of God's glory even when she didn't know me or her. And I knew that my love was not contingent on some condition. That she had to be fully cognizant and aware. That she had to be able to walk because it was a while before that happened. Like 40 days in before she was able to stand on her own for more than a moment. And by a moment, I mean step, sit in the chair next to the bed. Step, get back in the bed. That was all I saw. And I found that my love was not based on all of those things. Now, if this had happened two weeks into our marriage, I'd like to believe I would have felt the same way. But 30 years in, all I knew for Linda when I looked at her face, when I sat next to her bed, and when I held her in prayer and held her hand was love. That's all I knew. And that was the second lesson. Now, there's a bunch of other lessons, but we're not going there. So what do you do with a text that seems to speak completely counter to what you know about God? I don't believe in just throwing away. There are parts of the Bible that make no sense to me. And I've read it cover to cover. And I've read it in small portions. There are portions of it I don't know why we kept the, uh, you know, some stories. Particularly among the judges. Those were some of the worst possible stories. You know, the most amazing of the One of the women judges who was most amazing drove a tent peg through an enemy's eye socket. That's what made her a great judge. Well, that just seems kind of violent to me. 
what do we do with these stories? We listen. We listen and we struggle. We don't throw away. You see, God didn't make what happened. God didn't shape the evil that I experienced this evil, by the way, because I attached that value to it. God didn't shape the evil the way I thought it was shaped. That is, somewhere off on the throne, God said, hey, let's see if Linda and James can handle a little uh, sickness down there. I'm going to zap her, <laughs> see what happens. That's not what I picture. But God used that experience to shape my heart and to teach me a lesson because the experience was already there. I was already sitting at her bedside through natural causes beyond God's controlling of everything. Linda got sick. Most of the people that see Linda these days are like amazed. The ones who saw her when she was really sick are like amazed. It's like miraculous how far she's come. I'd say she's about 95%. But there was a time when she was like 9% or less. And so it seems miraculous, her recovery. So was, is the recovery the only part where God did a part? Or was God even there with me when things stunk? And the God that I know never left me. So the shaping happened in my heart, not in what happened to Linda, but in how we learned and loved through it. Linda and I have talked about it since she came home from the hospital. I love her more than I've ever loved her before. And she loves me more than she ever did before. Now you might say, oh, where's the God in all of that? Where isn't the God in all of that? In our love for one another, in our risk-taking for one another, in our walking with one another, God is there. And even when we abandon the other, God is there. Because God never leaves. The hand of the potter is always in the clay. And if we allow ourselves to be shaped by what happens to us and because of us in our lives, we can come to see God in everything. Please don't apply that to uh, your friend who's in the hospital. This must be God's will! <laughs> don't go there. Please, that would not be a... I, I don't think that's a good plan. But a plan where you say to yourself, I wonder what I could learn from watching the perseverance of this person with this, uh, who's in the hospital the doctors and the nurses as well. What would it take? What would it take? That's what I learned. That's what I did with this text. Never forget, you're not going to be discarded by God. You are the clay. God keeps God's hand in the clay. God's hand is in your life. You may not always feel it. And for me, my witness would be, and you may have to come to a different conclusion for yourself, but the shaping that God did in that time, even for the people of Israel, was in their understanding of its meaning, not in the building up armies to come and crush them 
are even building them up to crush the other armies. It's all a matter of perspective and how you see where God is in it all. Check your perspectives. And remember, you will not